right, welcome to our number three of the Pete Callender Show. I am not Pete Callender, obviously. This is Brad Slager. I'm uh, cover for Pete one last hour here, but he should be returning back to the airwaves tomorrow. And if you want to pick up any other aspects of the shows on the radio here, head over to WBT.com or social media if you want to keep tabs on everything at WBT Radio. All right. Um, for my last hour here, figure we'll keep things a little bit lighter, maybe go over some uh, some of the more jaunty stories to be found in the press, as well as uh, some of the entertainment. Bottom of the hour, I'm going to have on Christian Toto, longtime associate of mine. I've written for him for a few years, but he's uh, very expert voice in the entertainment field. He's one of the very few conservative voices you can find out there covering the entertainment industry. So we're going to have a pretty fun talk there. Had um, interesting story come across the media landscape yesterday. Vanity Fair has done a bio on MSNBC superstar, at least within their orbit, Rachel Maddow. Anybody who's uh, following that network might know that Rachel this year in the springtime had both signed a new lucrative contract and cut back severely her airtime. She's uh, She's got some things in the works, apparently, with the network. But after signing a big contract, she cut her broadcast schedule down to one day a week. This was pretty dire for the network because she was the number one rated personality still is actually at msnbc problem is she isn't carrying the entire week any longer you know rachel maddow's show is one of the few other broadcasts in this cable news spectrum that cracks the top 10 uh, fox news obviously dominates right now it's uh, basically the five tucker carlson and I think Sean Hannity might be number three. And then Maddow starts to creep into the top five. And then the rest play out as Fox News. Other MSNBC programs will maybe hit the top 20 and CNN won't appear until maybe about <laughs> the 28th or 27th rated show. I think Anderson Cooper is the top rated over at CNN these days. So MSNBC is kind of... Uh, in a state of dismay because four days of the week, they are not getting Rachel Maddow's millions tuning in. So this is affecting things, but she's got bigger and better things. And vanity fair wanted to cover those details. After all, she's uh, she's the big star over there. She's the big name. So they uh, did an extensive interview, spent a lot of time with her and in the course of this discussion, something rather curious came up. Uh, for one, it was rather interesting that they were willing to mention one of the more problematic aspects of her career, which is uh, her reliance on the Steele dossier and the Russian collusion story. You know, this was a huge component of Rachel Maddow's program, after all, for years. You know, she nightly was going after Donald Trump, supposedly conjuring up new details and bringing up all the aspects of this. 
And she's taking a very curious approach to this. Well, not too curious because she's kind of stuck. <laughs> you know, the Steel dossier has not just fallen out of favor, but fallen apart. It's basically been debunked as a valid document. It just, there was nothing to it as far as uh, legitimacy goes. Now, Joe Pompeo is the one that wrote this piece, spent an extended amount of time with Maddow. I think they went ice fishing, and then he spent time with her at her home. You know, it's one of these very deep background bios. And Pompeo is actually willing to bring up this aspect. Since a linchpin of her coverage was the Steele dossier, which is now a disproven document, he was willing to bring this up with her, which surprised me. And Maddow, she still kind of clings to the contentions of the Steele dossier being valid. Well, maybe not valid, but she tries to legitimize it and does so in a curious fashion. She brought up Dan Rather, of all things, of all people. <laughs> um, I don't know that this is somebody you want to maybe cling to for the sake of bolstering your character. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> it just seems a curious choice of things. But on top of that, she brought up the very aspect of Dan Rather's career that saw it come to an end. And that was the falsified documents of the George Bush career that he had in the National Guard. You know, this was the big story. This was, they called it Memogate or Rathergate. But at, on 60 Minutes, Dan Rather supposedly exposed how George Bush was granted favors so that he could dodge the draft and just stay in the National Guard and not face military action on the front lines in Vietnam. And it turned out that this hardcore document proof that Dan Rather brought up was completely falsified. You know, it was supposedly documents from his tenure in the Guard in 1973, except uh, forensic document experts looked into it and found that the, the typeface and the formatting of the document were not known until about the year 2000 or so because it was done with Microsoft Word programs. Yeah, oops. But Maddow compares her steel dossier falling apart to Dan Rather, curiously enough. She said, quote, do you remember what the Dan Rather scandal was about? And this was back in 2004. She's stating that the document wasn't the problem because the story is still valid. She's resorting to the fake but accurate dodge that we see so often in the press when they get called out on a fake news report. So she's talking about how Dan Rather's career, literally it came to a screeching halt. This is what they say. Pompeo says this in Vanity Fair over the 60-minute segment. And... They're going on and saying that, well, George Bush was still getting this sweet gig in the National Guard. He didn't have to go fight in Vietnam because of this. Except he 
there, there was no proof that that happened. Dan Rather was bringing the proof. But it's even worse than that for her because this was one story that destroyed his career. She was pumping the fake Steele dossier for years on MSNBC. And she still thinks that this is valid and it maintains her character as a journalist. It's embarrassing and amusing. And welcome back to the Pete Callender Show here on WBT and WBT.com. Brad Slager filling in for Pete one last day before he returns from his vacation. He will be back to gracing your ears tomorrow, folks. Well, uh, close out this part of the half hour. Just a couple of fun nuggets that uh, have been popping up in the media. You know, there's, um, there's a prevailing mentality going on social media that the left cannot meme and it's generally true their uh, their ability to come up with uh, pithy images and videos and such are always seeming to be lacking but there's something taking place right now that is really uh, it, it reeks of desperation from the democrat side of things and the press is playing along with it now you probably saw in the last couple of years or there was a period of time where there were a number of accounts that would have their photo or any other graphic image that had glowing red eyes or lasers coming out of them. This was supposed to be a method of uh, conservative or right-leaning individuals who had some sort of uh, strength or power to their account that it was, you know, done in joking fashion. And that's kind of fallen by the wayside after a good year, maybe a year or two since that was even popular. But all of a sudden, it's reared itself back up now because the left has adopted this meme of sorts in regards to the president. You know, they're calling it Dark Biden because suddenly in the last month, the impression is that Joe Biden has become a powerful force where he's been, well, I mean, basically he's been inept since he was sworn into office. But now, because of passages of some policies and other things that are going his way. Oh, gas prices are coming down. So dark Biden is now their new meme. In one of them, they have him posed in a fashion and the graphic behind him replicates that of the dark Knight movie poster, you know, where there was crumbling buildings in the background and the gap between them in the negative space formed the bat signal. Well, they're doing it now with this dark Biden meme, except it was supposed to be an eagle, except it really replicated the Nazi eagle (laughs) emblem. So already they had a failure of this. But as I said, the media is backing this. They're jumping on it. Uh, Matt Visor is one who was all behind this. He said uh, on this new meme coming out, he said, Brandon returns, because this is what the left is trying to do. The let's go Brandon meme that was so popular on the right, they're trying to overtake that. And Matt Visor says, the Democrats have attempted to co-opt one of the most searing catchphrases that Republicans have pinned on Biden, turning the let's go Brandon meme around 
and reclaiming it as their own. Okay, they might be doing that, but they're not doing it successfully, Matt. But um, here's how he describes it in his piece. He wrote a full column on this, by the way. He says, the new liberal-driven meme is meant to depict Biden as having superpowers, able to smite an al-Qaeda leader and pass legislation through Congress with ease. All right, well, already, no. He didn't smite the al-Qaeda leader, our military did. And passing Congress with ease never is the case when you have a 50-50 Senate. He goes on, though. Rather than an ineffective president inspiring Republican vitriol and earning historically low approval ratings, he is a superhero familiar with the dark arts and able to change the course of history. Okay, Matt. Superhero. As he releases this yesterday, video comes out of Joe Biden coming back from Kentucky, exiting a helicopter and being completely incapable of putting on his sport coat. It's, it's the video takes place like a full minute and a half of this of him being incapable of getting a coat on. And once he does, then he spills his sunglasses on the tarmac. That's our superhero. Not the only ridiculous aspect to come out of the Washington Post. However, they just did an interview with Jen Psaki. And uh, they were interviewing. She's discussing the passage of legislation over the weekend, you know, the, <laughs> the bill that uh, was supposed to fight inflation until it was passed. And then nobody mentioned inflation anymore. She says this to the Washington Post. One of the lessons learned, a big lesson learned was that letting the negotiations with senators dominate the public conversation was a mistake because it made it so that disagreements about minutia became what the public was consumed with. Instead of how pieces of legislation were going to impact people's lives, she says sometimes the best things happen in the dark, away from the public. And the Washington Post was cool with this. The Washington Post that says democracy dies in the darkness. They're perfectly fine, though, with Jen Psaki saying Biden needs to operate his policies in the dark. And welcome back to the Pete Callender Show here on WBT and WBT.com, as well as on social media at WBT Radio. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna close out this hour with some entertainment news. And joining me, one of the uh, one of the rare conservative voices that covers the entertainment industry, Christian Toto, is on with us. How's everything been, Christian? Everything's good. Really busy, of course, but uh, glad to be on the show fantastic to hear from you again it's been quite a while we've done uh, we've done some work together in the past but i've segued over into the media side of things so i'm less entertainment based so you and i haven't been able to uh, hook up nearly as much but i'm interested to have you on for a few reasons one of them being that this year it seems as if uh hollywood is going through a bit of a change with a lot of unwoke entertainment showing a remarkable level of success for the studios, including the movie Maverick, which everybody's raving about. Uh, 
is there any hope that this is going to lead to a dawning in the studio system in your estimation? You know, I don't have enough faith in Hollywood that they're going to get the message, honestly. You think that <laughs> yes. there's a sign after sign pointing in this direction saying, hey, do this, not that. Audiences want this, not that. But I, I wonder what kind of lessons they'll learn from the Top Gun Maverick um, situation. Uh, you know, it, it could certainly be an anomaly in many ways. I, I think it's it's so aggressively apolitical. It's kind of political in a sense. But, uh, you know, I, I think Hollywood can be rather callous or unaware of trends. I, I think back in, you know, during the Bush years and the Iraq war, the industry just cranked out uh, anti-Iraq war movie after anti-Iraq war movie. They all flopped, some worse than others. Mm-hmm. And it took like 10 of them before Hollywood said, wait a minute, maybe we should stop making these movies because they don't seem to do well. So I, I don't have faith that they can kind of get the message right away. They should. Uh, but what, I think what we are seeing, though, is, is a sense that the woke stuff just doesn't play. Uh, you know, from the Batgirl cancellation, which is just crazy, to uh, Netflix basically telling their woke employees to pound sand if they don't like the content on the platform. You know, so I, I think reality and number crunching is starting to get into the into the mainstream of Hollywood, where they can't just write off things like they once did, and that that that's good news for us. Yeah, the way I'm approaching it, and again, I my coverage of Hollywood is usually on the business side of things. I'm I'm kind of looking at it that the pandemic was such a squeeze on the studios that it did force them and theaters by extension to start looking at the numbers with a lot more seriousness, you know, just Mm -hmm. because of the lack of revenue so that money coming in was a bit more important. You know, in the past, like you mentioned, that slew of movies, I've covered that too back in the day when they were all anti-American war effort movies. And if they made $10 million in an entire run, that was a shock. But <laughs> that was always kind of shielded because they were still turning some great profits and they could get away with that. Now I think they're a little bit squeezed on things and they're probably starting at least to have a dawning. <laughs> we can maybe hope. But what I the part that encouraged me about Maverick, not only its success and its messaging, but it was the fact that they were formerly partnering with the Chicoms. It was uh, Ten Cent Productions was part of it, and a couple of years ago, when the first trailers came out, that was when a small controversy arose because they had to take the Taiwanese flag off of his flight jacket from his father, a prominent piece of the first movie. Ten Cent backed out. The jacket returned, and look at the results. They've got monumental box office so i'm i'm wondering yeah, if that's thing I want to know that film did not get a china release which normally is huge but mm-hmm. and i'm going to roughly guesstimate the numbers here i think that the movie has made maybe 660 670 million stateside but across the globe without china it's made that much if not a smidge more so that's interesting as well partly because they said well you know pro-american movies don't sell overseas well that's a lie we're seeing that right now but also the fact that you could be very, very successful when the product doesn't, doesn't sort of kiss up to China and still make a lot of money. Listen, not every movie's going to make that money. Most of them would, would dream to make a tenth of it. But it is interesting as well. Did you happen to catch the um, Chris Pratt release that came out, the Terminal List? I've seen the first episode. I didn't get deep in the weeds of it. Um, but I'm kind of aware of some of the talk around it and the critics just absolutely <laughs> did a dog 
pile on that show like it was the worst thing since my mother the car. Uh, I, 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 from what I've seen and what I've read, it's not that bad, but uh, the public seems <laughs> yeah. to love it. It's, it's certainly not woke, and uh, it's among the most popular shows on streaming right now. Yeah, it is, and it's. It, I think that's where the sharpest dichotomy can be found in the entertainment industry, where the place that you populate, in fact, and that's with the critics and the writers, because they they tend to have this knee-jerk reaction to anything that could be called jingoistic. And as soon as it is able to fit that label, then they pan it. And if you look at, say, the Rotten Tomatoes score, I think the critics have it situated at about 40%. The viewers have it, I think, over 95% approval. Yeah, you know, that's a trend that I've noticed. I've been doing this for, gosh, over 20 years now. Uh, It's me, I'm only 36. But... uh, it's, it's something that critics do more and more these days. It used to be you watch a movie, you review a movie, you, you, you're, you're giving a service to readers, and you're kind of informing them what's good, what's bad, what's worth your time. But critics more and more write for themselves, write for their friends, write to sort of check in with their own ideologies. And that doesn't do anyone help. And I think that we're seeing these, these sort of grave disparities at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you know, where if the critics don't like a theme or an actor in a movie or, or a subject or a message, they act accordingly. Uh, one, one example, maybe I'm wrong about this one, but I really enjoyed Fourth of July. It's a new uh, Louis C.K. movie. Now, Louis C.K. did something horrible with those women. He kind of exposed himself and uh, essentially lost his career and lost millions of dollars. But, you know, at the same time, you review the movie as a movie and you kind of judge it based on whether it's good or not. And the reviews for that movie are really bad. And I thought this is a smart, well-acted, uh, thoughtful presentation that had insights into the human condition. It, was, it kept my attention. And I, I just, it, it's hard not to think that maybe some critics don't like Louis C.K.'s personal life. I don't like what he did, but they kind of judged more harshly his, his film. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to deny that at this point. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, because I, I got my start doing film reviews. And the, part of the reason why I segued over into the business side is because that kind of thing was so prevalent, even on the sites that I was writing on at the time, or the people I work with, where they would truck in all of the other things in measuring a release. And it it's not accurate or fair even because, yes, he did something off camera that was repugnant. That doesn't impact the quality, though, of the product itself. And so many times I would get into arguments to the point that I stopped even bringing up the topic <laughs> because of that very thing. All right, um, you know, Christian, if you can hang on, I got to take a break to, right you know, now. I, for, I uh, recommended a, a Brian Cranston movie on Twitter recently, and someone responded by pointing me to a quote that Brian had that was like super woke or something. And I'm like, well, so what? It's a good movie. I'm not going to. I'm not going to, you know, downgrade a movie or Brian Cranston because he doesn't agree with my philosophy of life. You know, it seems silly. Okay, we are back on the Pete Callender Show. And with us for the final segment here is Christian Toto, who is the backer of hollywoodintoto.com a fantastic site to go to for conservative coverage of the entertainment industry uh christian you brought up a piece uh briefly in the last segment about the movie batgirl that's been canceled this is a 
story that just kind of flabbergasted me. And I wonder if you've seen anything like this. 90 uh, to nothing, $100 million. Nothing near as crazy as this. And I, I keep turning it around in my head. And I can't imagine why a studio would take a movie that is nearly done that costs anywhere between 70 to $90 million and say, we're just going to stick this on the shelf. We're going to shaft every actor and crew member who was a part of this project and pretend it doesn't exist. I, I just can't believe it. The only explanation that makes a, a kernel of sense is they're using this as a massive tax write-off, but sort of the implications are far beyond that, and I just don't get it. If the movie stinks, who cares? We've seen lots of stinky superhero movies, and, and the, the world still goes on, and some of them made a nice profit, so I just don't get it. Yeah, and that, I've been picking this one apart since the news came out, and that is about the only detail that makes sense is the tax write-off aspect of it but why not even go to streaming for instance you know they're not even letting this go to hbo max they're just kind of wiping the slate clean and it's almost as if the new management wants to kind of flush out the dc comics division of warner brothers and just start fresh with everything that's about the only thing that makes sense and yet They got the flash that's still sitting out there. <laughs> and every third day, there's a new horrible story attached to its lead, Ezra Miller. It, it's crazy. You know, I, I've been at companies, I've heard about companies where the new boss comes in and they want to wipe the slate clean. They want to fire the old employees. They want to kind of store fresh. I get that generically from a, a company point of view. It's not uncommon. But this is just strange. And, you know, J.K. Simmons is in the movie, Michael Keaton, these established stars. Uh, you know, it's it's very strange. You have a Latina lead. You have two uh, directors of color behind the scenes. And you think that sort of woke cultural pressure would have would have prevented them from canceling it? Nope. It's gone. It is crazy. I mean, I, I, I hope in a decade we get a definitive book on all the behind the scenes because that's what I want to read ASAP because you know we're, not, we're getting an ounce of the real story. There's something else going on here. Yeah, there, it definitely feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, this is like, yeah, you just said it perfectly. If there's a book on this one, I'm uh, I'm there the day it drops. So, uh, Christian, just to wrap things up, I want to throw it at you. What would you recommend for the audience? You're you're one of the uh, voices to go to for not just alternative options, but you know, from a conservative standpoint, family standpoint, you always come up with some great niche products that are on the market from Hollywood for people to enjoy. What would you be recommending right now? Gosh, you know, it's a bit of a, a downtime uh, for movies. This is kind of the quiet time of the summer. I'll mention a couple of titles. As a, from a horror movie perspective, I really enjoyed a film called The Black Phone. And I think it's still in theaters. You, you, I think you can also stream it at home, maybe at a higher price point. But it's a very good horror movie. Certainly not for the squeamish. It's about a, a, a guy who kidnaps and and kills kids, so that's already going to wipe out some folks. But, you know, it's a horror movie. If you like horror movies, you like them well-crafted, well-acted, sort of original and novel. This one checks a lot of those boxes. And the movie that came along, it's on Hulu right now, which I thought was going to be super woke, and it has those elements, but I really think it's first and foremost a genre movie, was Prey, and that's the prequel to the Predator series. And I think the last few Predator movies have been less than great. And this one is just about 90 minutes. It moves quickly. There are some imaginative sequences. And it just it, it just kind of hits, you know, kind of scratches the itch for, for horror fans, for genre fans. So that one, 
you know, look past the woke trappings. I think you'll enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will say there's another show on Amazon Prime. I think it's called Frank of Ireland. I don't know why I struggle with the title. It's a six-episode series. It's about this sort of uh, misanthropic fool who's really just completely self-absorbed. And it's very funny. The first episode I was howling over. So if you're looking for something a little bit eclectic, try that one. Or even The Outlaws, which is also on Amazon Prime. That one is six or seven episodes. I forget the exact one. It's an ensemble cast. Christopher Walken's there. It's very enjoyable. And it kind of gives some nuance to a conservative character as well as a sort of a super woke character. So I like the balance of that. See, I knew you'd deliver. I knew you'd make it right there. That's just perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Christian. And once again, I'll recommend Hollywood in Toto is the site. And Christian's also got uh, his regular podcast on there, if I'm not mistaken. Anything else you want to promote? Yeah, you know, I just shot a video for Prager University that's going to come out in October. I'm kind of excited about that. And I've begun oh, really? contributing to Outkick, which is a really great sports website that also deals a lot of uh, pop culture goodies. So uh, you can check me out there. Definitely recommend the site. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Christian. We will definitely be in touch. Thanks again. And I just want to say, uh, I want to close out here by saying my time for Pete Callender has been a pleasure. I want to thank all the staff, all the production guys, helping guide me through this helping me kick off the training wheels and get my radio spot on. And I'll just, one last promo, invite you to over to townhall.com to catch my daily column, Riff from the Headlines, over at Red State as well, Liable Sources Podcast. I want to thank everybody and thank Pete.